Hello and welcome to our 11th episode of the podcast series from UCL Business Big Talks on Big Impacts. UCL Business, or UCLB, is the commercialisation company for UCL and this year-long podcast series celebrates the company's 30 years of collaboration and impact. I'm Katie Bruce, Chief Financial Officer at UCLB and today I'm delighted to be joined by Chari Garazia, Chief Financial Officer of UCL. Cherry has worked for 17 years in the civil service, holding Group FD, Chief Financial Officer and Chief Operating Officer roles across five government departments, the HM Treasury and the Home Office, to name two. The same strong purpose and value system that drives civil service has attracted her to UCL's mission and she joined UCL as Chief Financial Officer in November 2021. Cherry is also on the Board of Directors for UCLB. Welcome, Cherry. Thank you, Katie. Today, Cherry and I will be discussing the mutually beneficial relationship between a technology transfer office, such as UCLB, and the university. We'll dive into the research income financial cycle, how the commercialisation income is distributed back into the research ecosystem, the challenges around commercialisation income and how UCL can tackle these, and if we have time, what does the future look like? So, the first question, Cherry, what are your observations upon joining the UCLB board and the world of technology transfer? Thank you, Katie. Uh, And I'm delighted to be here because it's really nice for us to work across the UCL family to talk to our colleagues about these sorts of issues. So I'm really grateful uh, for the opportunity to do this podcast with you. And in terms of uh, my background, I just wanted to add, I used to be a research scientist before I became an accountant by accident. So I thoroughly... I didn't know that. <laughs> yes, I thoroughly enjoy the whole process and completely understand the value research brings to society. So in terms of my observations uh, of having joined UCLB uh, and the board, so as soon as I joined UCL, now almost two years ago, uh, I joined the UCLB board as well. And it was quite exciting for me as someone who used to do research uh, and then became an accountant to see the whole end-to-end journey of the income flow coming into research then what we do at UCL in terms of creating the knowledge and then disseminating the knowledge for society, and then how we think about uh, using that to benefit the wider society through the tech transfer process and the commercialization process, uh, even more so increasing the impact of our research. And I was quite um, intrigued uh, in the first few months to see how methodical and systematic the whole process can be at one end uh, to how um, it is quite difficult sometimes to make it very predictable because every commercialization process can be very, very different. The outcomes can be very different. So the volatility, uh, which I was aware of, but being able to see it firsthand was quite surprising. I would agree. It's almost impossible to make it predictable. Exactly, exactly. And you and I as finance professions, we we love uh, predictability as much as possible. Uh, And when we don't have it, it's nice to think about how we work together on it. And the third observation I would make is uh, it's a very good board. Um, it's really nice to see how different colleagues bring different skills to that board 
and how passionate everybody actually is about the work of UCL business. Uh, and that's really exciting to be part of. So it might be helpful for our listeners if we uh, describe the research income from start. It might be helpful for our listeners if we describe the research income financial cycle from start to finish from the university's perspective. And I wonder if you could talk us through what are the very early stages of that and how it flows through. Thank you, Katie. So uh, there are two elements to research income. There's actually a lot more, but just to simplify it for our listeners, uh, UK as a country has a dual funding system. So research grants come to universities, particularly like UCL, because we're a research intensive university in the Russell Group and top 10 in the world. Um, And therefore, we attract more research income because of our brand, our reputation, all the previous uh, work we do in research. And research excellence framework is one way in which um, policy makers actually assess how good an organization has been in the past, in particular, at uh, doing research and how it's adding value to society. So your future research income is based on your previous performance. Performance. Yes, your past performance can dictate sometimes what you get in the future. And that's particularly true of what's called QR income. So there's a dual funding mode. You get direct research grants from various funders. Uh, You can get charity research. You can get research income from industry partners. And uh, you get Uh, We get in UCL quite a lot from UK Research and Innovation and all this different research councils. So that's one big source of research income. The second side of that is the QR income, which is essentially uh, money that government gives us based on the research excellence framework. And they decide who's done what in that framework, what our past performance has been. And that is used to look at a formula and that formula distributes the QR income. And that's used basically to just keep the basic infrastructure around research funded. Uh, But as you I don't know if you or your listeners will be aware of this, that uh, the formal policy is not to fund the full economic cost of doing research. So we do have to think about when the income is coming in. Uh, All of the research income we get, we spend on research. We do not spend on any other activity at UCL. It has to go towards funding research. But it doesn't cover all of the costs that you incur in research? No, it doesn't. Uh, And in fact, uh, if you talk to some academic colleagues, it might be a hotly debated topic uh, because... uh, and. Probably, you know, as a research scientist myself from years ago, I would have found that message really hard to swallow (laughs) as well. I sense I'm throwing into controversial areas. Yes, it's absolutely (laughs) slight. It's not controversial for everyone, but it is controversial Mm. for many colleagues. Uh, but but what it, what I can draw everyone's attention to is if you actually look at UKRI's own website, they will tell you that our policy is not to fund the full economic cost of doing research. The maximum funding will give you is about 80%. And there's an assumption that the QR income can cover some of the other 
full economic cost elements. Uh, but in reality, what we see is, uh, particularly in a hyperinflationary environment, the income never really keeps up with uh, the rate at which our cost base mm. is constantly rising. And also for an ambitious university like UCL, who's growing yes. as well, that's, that's a tricky financial budget to manage. Exactly. And many charities that we work with will, again, uh, be very clear that their policy is not to fund the overheads involved with research. And so that doesn't come with full economic cost. And some of the research grants we take may come with 30, 40 percent coverage of the cost. Uh, And there's a significant amount that is not covered. Um, And with industry partners as well, sometimes uh, some colleagues will be very happy to work with certain strategic partnerships in order to allow them to flourish in future. Uh, They may decide, actually, they don't want to cover all of the overhead costs uh, of doing it. So the costs involved in the research stage alone are hugely significant and not fully covered by, by the research grant income and the QR income that that comes through. And so that's establishing the idea I know from my side of the table that actually once the idea is created and it can get into the intellectual property, the patent protection and and move towards commercialisation, obviously there are ongoing costs associated with that. Yes, exactly. The intellectual property is assigned to a tech transfer office like UCLB and we have to take on the cost of maintaining the patent protection and managing that asset and employing people to to commercialise it and and actually get that research out into the real world. So again, there's there's added costs that comes through the whole system. So getting the income from the commercialisation output is actually quite important to UCL. Um, many people may not be aware that the income that tech transfer offices receive has quite a, a high level of revenue share associated with it. So... Yes. As an illustration, for every £100 of income that, that we receive into UCLB, perhaps £65 of that goes goes back into the university, to yes. the PIs involved in, in the research and to research partners. So there's a cycle of, of the income coming back. How much is that a boost to UCL's research activity? Great question, Katie, because... Um, Like you say, there are hidden costs in the commercialization process, but equally, uh, when we do get any windfalls from that commercialization or tech transfer, everyone who's been involved in the process of generating that income will legitimately want a share of that. So this could be the hospitals that we work with. Uh, It is... it comes centrally into UCL, but also goes into the various departments in UCL's faculties. And like you say, the inventors who've been involved, the PIs who've been involved in the process up front, will also get a share of that income. So in a way, it's quite a nice ecosystem where the income that's generated through research is actually being ploughed back significantly into that ecosystem to keep it running. And in terms of its importance for UCL, uh, it is significant, as you can imagine. Uh, The importance is significant for us. The income streams at the moment are not as significant. So they're not our main income streams. To give you an example, 
um, because of the volatility in income you can expect year on year, some years it will contribute to three million pounds to the bottom line. In some years, it may contribute as much as 10, 15, 20 million pounds to the bottom line. Uh, and to put that in context, UCL's turnover or annual income from research and teaching is two billion pounds. So the amount itself is not significant year on year, but the fact that some of the research uh, that we've invested in upfront can be commercialized and you can get windfalls is absolutely crucial uh, to keep the ecosystem going. That's really good to know. And it's helpful to hear you refer to the returns as windfalls, given the unpredictability of the income. I often have fun <laughs> conversations with your financial planning team. Yes. <laughs> and um, if you work in technology transfer, I think you're familiar with the fact that a 12-month financial year... Yes is a very, very short window of time and predicting anything within a five-year window exactly. can be quite challenging. But That's but, true of research as well, mm, generally, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. The um, the timeframes don't work well with, with accounting regulations. <laughs> and that brings me on to the challenges of commercialisation income, I think. It is very unpredictable and therefore difficult for you to plan around and to, you can't rely on it in your forecast because you don't know when that, that will occur and when you'll receive the funds. Um, and it's also very high risk. Not everything in our portfolio will come to fruition. Um, so how do you review the potential of our portfolio in, in that light? Uh, yes, that's quite pertinent at the moment because um, in UCL, we had a five-year strategic plan and then we set a financial strategy to go alongside that plan. And as you say, because uh, the commercialization income is quite unpredictable and it's quite hard to decide which year you're going to forecast that income coming in, um, one of the things we had to consider as we were doing that work was if... Uh, Say you've got 10, 20 projects running at the same time uh, and two or three are going to actually give you some commercial income. The, the most um, secure way for an organisation to think about how do I ensure that I get some research income constantly coming in all the time through commercialisation is just to have as broad and diverse a pipeline of research commercialization opportunities and ideas because uh, let's assume at one point one idea really takes us uh, in terms of big windfalls. Uh, at other times some other ideas might pick up and some may not uh, go anywhere and we might fail because uh, we are involved in the risky end in some ways of doing the research and then commercializing it. So to make it most as secure as we can, having as diverse a portfolio and pipeline of projects ready to go into commercialization is absolutely crucial. And this is another area as a board member, I'm impressed to see the amount of work UCLB have started doing in mentoring reaching out to different departments and faculties across UCL to explain how not only how the process works, but to guide people through it 
so that we can start diversifying that portfolio. I'm glad you've noticed that it's something that we have paid particular heed to. And I think in a rapidly changing world with new markets being created all the time, it's absolutely critical. It's very easy to think of technology transfer being your life sciences, your medical sciences and, and biotech. But actually, AI is a massive opportunity and the ethics that feed into this. So it means that we're hugely aware of the importance of covering as much of the UCL research base rather than the traditional areas. So it's nice that that's being recognised and all recommendations for how to further that are always welcome. Thank you. How do you think UCLB are perceived from a financial perspective within the uh, research base within UCL? Are we an asset? Are we a cost draw? What do you think the, the view is? Um, so I've been here now, as I say, almost two years. And generally what I hear is positive things about how UCL business is such an asset, how compared to our peers, which is one thing universities love doing all the time, is comparing ourselves to our peer group. And we're fortunate we have a good peer group we can compare ourselves to. And so there's always a little bit of healthy competition in who's commercializing how much in this space. And so it's good to see that on most metrics and any measurements that's done, it looks like UCL is doing well in this space thanks to UCL business and the way we work together uh, as two organisations, almost as if we were one from time to time. So um, I think generally very positive uh, and it's seen as an asset. But as you can imagine, um, not every idea can lead to commercialization, and therefore there will be areas where people have tried and found that it's not successful. Uh, they, their experience may not be as positive uh, because they've, you know, passionately invested in that area of research, and if they feel that their chances of commercializing it are less than when they see other colleagues being able to do it. Of course, it's going to feel like there's more UCLB and UCL can do to help with that journey. But equally, um, let me point to a financial fact, which is uh, when UCLB was set up, uh, any new 100% owned subsidiary of an organization is going to need initial startup capital. It's going to need some annual income to just keep its working capital going. And actually, in the last couple of years, we can already see that UCLB has gone from being a loss-making entity or an entity that needed an annual management fee from UCL. Uh, Actually, because you've started turning around a little bit of a surplus, that means we don't have to give you the management fee. And that already shows that all those years of investment means we've created a very valuable asset for the family, which I'm really excited about. It is exciting. I was delighted to be able to remove the um, management fee that UCL paid to us from our forecasts and to no longer be taking it because it's a really good uh, symbol of the fact that we're now financially self-sustainable. And that's very difficult in technology transfer because of the revenue share that's attached to the income it's actually really hard to be a profitable or, or break-even company. And so it's hugely exciting for myself and all of my colleagues that, that we've reached that point. 
long may it continue. We share your excitement, Katie. (laughs) (laughs) So when it comes to inspiring our research colleagues to engage with the commercialisation process, there's much more we can do, I feel, about communicating how the financial cycle works and why commercialisation is a worthwhile activity and engaging with UCLB to achieve that is a worthwhile activity. One challenge we sometimes find from departments is they perceive the returns to be not always useful because they come with short notice due to the unpredictability and they can't always utilise them in time. What do you think we can do to remove that pain factor for our colleagues and departments? Yes, um, I can see that's an issue that uh, many colleagues have raised with me as well. And um, you're absolutely right. We're in this annual financial cycle. And because of the unpredictability of the income, you just don't know when it's going to land. So you can't really plan to spend it properly. Um, There are a few things we're working on. But before I touch on the income side, I just think people, uh, I feel a lot of our research colleagues in particular understand that they're there to create, disseminate knowledge, but also to help society at large. And a lot of the commercialization and tech transfer we're doing, sometimes it's about finding cures for diseases we've not managed to cure, finding drugs or treatments that we've never had in the market before. So these are life-changing decisions we're making and life-changing ways in which uh, we're bringing those, what was just an idea many years ago, into the market and helping society. And we're solving really big problems for society. So I know that that's at the heart of what drives everyone every day. But equally, it would be nice, wouldn't it, if they could use that income in a more planned way over a longer time horizon. So one of the areas we're exploring within UCL in particular is uh, if there are windfalls that have come from the commercialization process and they've come quite late in the year that we're not planned for, in order to achieve good value for money and not create an incentive where people just have to spend it somehow before the end of the year or lose it. That doesn't benefit anyone, does it? Not at all. You're absolutely right. We're looking at ways in which um, we can allow people to take it forward or part of it or all of it as a capital expenditure over a finite number of years uh, because what we don't want to do is have an infinite Uh, time period in which people can spend it because then it creates lots of little pots of money reserves which becomes very inefficient. Universities already have enough of those. (laughs) Exactly and we don't want to create a cottage industry around monitoring every few pounds here and there Um, so we just want to make sure we get the balance right so it's something we've been working on And we've consulted widely within UCL, particularly with the deans uh, and the big budget holders. um, And we're making some changes in that space from this financial year onwards. Uh, So it's quite exciting. More more to come. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. So personally, it's very exciting to have joined UCLB at what feels like a pivotal time to, to be joining with a broad portfolio with exciting assets 
in it and to be financially sustainable. So I can see a short-term, medium-term and long-term exciting future for, for UCLB. I was wondering what your views of the future for the commercialisation side of UCL looked like. I think the world's our oyster, Katie, because um, if I just look at how well our research base has done at UCL over the n- number of years and in a couple of years we'll celebrate our 200th year anniversary and this year we became the Time, Sunday Times University of the Year. All of these accolades don't come lightly and it comes because of the power of our research excellence and our teaching excellence, which is also in some ways synergistically connected to the research excellence. So I think there will not be any shortage of ideas. There won't be people who are not wanting to cure something tomorrow. Uh, They will want to solve society's problems. So that flurry of activity is going to carry on and continue, and we're going to go from strength to strength. So I can see the role of UCLB uh, actually going from strength to strength as well in terms of people want to having more of a demand for what UCLB can do in terms of taking their valuable research into commercialization space. So I'm really excited by the future. Um, the one or two areas that you and I've discussed uh, at UCLB board meetings in the past about how we set up the various uh, funds so that we can keep the injection of that capital coming in to help us with the commercialization is absolutely crucial to that success. Absolutely, bringing in that external investment either exactly. into our spin-out companies or to further translational research to exactly to bring exactly. the technology on. Because we can we can supply one part of the equation or one or few ingredients in the recipe. Uh, but the other ingredients, we rely quite heavily on external sources and people coming in to help invest alongside us. So I'm hoping that if we can make that a success, uh, there will be no shortage of ideas. So we'll go from strength to strength. Absolutely. And it just strengthens the ecosystem even more with those funding partners alongside us. Exactly. Thank you, Cherry. That's great and a wonderful place to finish. Thank you for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to work with you. Thank you everyone for listening and please do not miss out on the next episode of UCL Business, Big Talks on Big Impact. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.